Well, this evening and tomorrow morning, we are going to be looking at, uh, of course, um, the uh, idea of returning to God, of uh, repentance, and, and, and what that means, uh, and what that means to us. So I thought we would look at it from uh, two different perspectives. One perspective is from the prophets who speaking the voice of God, pleading with the people to return. And then the other is a psalm, the great Psalm 51, of, uh, of a person who confesses their sins. So it's sort of looking at uh, repentance and confession and what it means from two different points of view. From the point of view of God as desiring the, the return and, uh, and of a, a person who is convicted of sin and, and repents. And tomorrow morning when we look at Psalm 51... Uh, we will uh, perhaps be noticing some things there that uh, we generally don't pay attention to, that I think make a a big difference for us. So I hope that you'll be with us tomorrow. At the end of the service, I'll be sharing a little bit about what we'll be doing tomorrow, but I will say that we'll be here all day. So if you can come in the morning, it's great. If you can come in the afternoon, in the evening, you know, it's sort of like uh, choose from column A, B, C, or D, or, or all of the above, right? Uh, so uh, it is a very special day, a special time for us, and I hope that you will, uh, you will be with us. All right. Well, you know, uh, many of you know who Stuart Dowerman is. He uh, has been around for a very long time. Uh, he used to be known for writing and singing songs uh, for many years, and now he is more probably well-known uh, for his teachings and speaking and his blog called Interfaithfulness. And he, is, he has been around since the very beginning of the modern Messianic Jewish movement. So uh, he wrote something very interesting that, you know how we say, have an easy fast, have an easy fast, have a meaningful fast, right? So of course, what does he write? He writes, no, you should have a difficult fast, Right? Uh, and, of course, uh, what he meant by that, not that it would be physically uh, so demanding that we faint or something, but more to the point that, uh, uh, that we would not take uh, this holiday flippantly and, and that it wouldn't just be, uh, what's the easy way out on Yom Kippur or, you know, go through the motions of saying prayers. And so it was a real a point, a point uh, well taken. So we want to turn tonight to one of the great uh, prophetic passages where God desires uh, our people to return, and that is in the prophet Hosea. And we want to look at the 14th chapter of Hosea. Okay? I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, with the uh, story of Hosea. Hosea is the one who at the beginning is called upon to marry this woman who becomes a harlot and, uh, and she's sold uh, as a harlot and, uh, and his marriage to her is, is a picture of uh, God's marriage or covenant relationship with the Jewish people. And uh, what we... Uh, uh, learn there is, is that as our people had turned away from God, it was as if they had become a harlot and sought other lovers. Uh, and then Hosea is called upon to buy her back, right? To buy her back. How humiliating must that have been, right? 
And so he buys her back. And the point of that is, is that even though she was in harlotry, he, he marries her again. And so God, in his faithfulness, uh, maintains a relationship with uh, the Jewish people. Yet, if you go back, actually, uh, if you go back to chapter 3 for a minute of this uh, uh, prophecy, what he says when he tells uh, the prophet to go and marry her again, this is what he says in chapter 3 of Hosea. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Raisin cakes were a, uh, like an offering to the Baal and Ashtaroth, the foreign gods. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a half of barley. It's really, really, you need to know about that, it's really, really cheap. That's the point, okay? Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be toward you. So what he's saying is, I'm buying you back, but we're not going to have a normal relationship uh, because of your sinfulness. Yet, I'm going to spare you from running around as a harlot, yet we will not have a normal relationship for a period of time. And then he explains that in verses 4 and 5. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household idols. In other words, you'll remain many days without uh, a kingdom, without a temple, without a sacrifice, and then even without, uh, thankfully, without uh, foreign gods as well. Then it says, afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So he says that there will be a time of dryness. There will be a time of wandering. There will be a time of parched ground. There will be a time of fruitlessness. There will be a time of wandering, of darkness. But that is not all that there is, right? He says, afterward, the son of Israel will return. And return means repent. Shuv will turn, will turn around will come back and seek the Lord their God and David their king. So it's very interesting because David has long been dead by the time Hosea was alive. And, uh, and so it's rather interesting. People wonder, what did he mean here when he says uh, they'll seek David? How would they seek David? You know, David is a, is a person in, in history. And so what most uh, believe is, is that this is speaking of uh, not David personally, but the descendant of David who will sit on the throne forever, uh, King Messiah, uh, and come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And so here uh, we see that God desires, the heart of God is that the people would return. You know, uh, even though the people have turned from God, God doesn't hate them. He wants them to come back. It's painful for God, that the people are in rebellion, but they must come in a real way, and they indeed will seek the Lord their God and David their king. And this is a very interesting because we know that when Yeshua came, he is indeed the king of uh, Israel, as he's called in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And we know that Jewish people have been believing in him, not en masse, 
not the majority, but as the Bible has always taught, a remnant, just as Paul says in Romans chapter 11, God has not forsaken his people, has he? May it never be. And then he, as we said on Rosh Hashanah, he uses himself as exhibit A, that he's Jewish, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, he's an Israelite, and just as there has been a remnant all during the history of Israel, a small number of true believers, so to speak, so at the present time, there's a remnant according to the grace of God. And so in 2016, there is a remnant according to the grace of God. We'll just say of Jews and, and Gentiles who really embrace the Messiah of Israel. Uh, but we know that the day will come when all of Israel will indeed turn to the Lord. Well, if, when you go to the, uh, the, end of the, uh, the end of the prophecy, here uh, you have this plea of return. Now, some would say this is a prayer of Hosea, that, that this is actually a, a prayer of Hosea that the people would return. So whether it's a prayer of Hosea that the people would return or it is the word of the, that it is, thus saith the Lord, uh, calling the people to return. In one way or another, one of the things, that, the, the most profound or most basic truth here is that God desires us to return to him. And may I say that uh, this speaks of returning to him and embracing the Messiah, but it's still true that even if we have embraced the Messiah, let's face it, uh, there are many people who have embraced Yeshua or Messiah followers who are not exactly stellar examples of, uh, of what it means to really live for the Lord. And so no matter who we are, we're all always in need of returning to God, of, of turning back, uh, of coming back to God. And so on Yom Kippur, we have this great opportunity uh, of remembering to return uh, and, and indeed returning. And that is what the word shuv means, the word uh, indeed, for uh, repent. So you have at the beginning here, uh, he says uh, in chapter 14, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds, uh, the orphan finds mercy. So at the beginning, we have here this recipe of repentance, I guess you could call it. Uh, first, he says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. So this is, of course, uh, important to pause and say, it doesn't say, return, O Israel, to uh, doing things the right way. Uh, it doesn't say, return, O Israel, and make sure that you say, achet, and make sure that you confess uh, enough sins from the Siddur, make sure that you fast, uh, make sure that you start showing up to services regularly, make sure that uh, you begin reading the Bible through in a year, uh, make sure that you uh, start coming to a Chavurah group. Make sure that you uh, get on an Oneg team. Make sure that you bring your kids to Hebrew school. Notice he doesn't say all that. Now, all that is important. Obviously, it's important. But he's saying, return, O Israel, to me. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. God is much more concerned 
with interacting with us personally than the forms of worship that we approach him with. This is very important, and we will stress this. I could stress it now, but I'm going to stress this tomorrow morning uh, from Psalm 51, that what God desires is us to return to him, not just some kind of religious form, no matter how endearing and enriching and right and good and spiritual it may be. But all of that should come as a result of returning to God. See, we as human beings, religious human beings, have been conditioned to make sure that if we're going to return to God, we do so within a particular uh, faith tradition. And that is indeed well and good. And there's a place to actually give a message on that and how powerful it is. But I'm afraid that we miss the point. And many of us hide behind... Oh, oh, right? Many of us hide behind our traditions for fear of just standing there before God. We like to sing songs, or we like to uh, do particular prayers, or be busy about congregational activities and business. But none of that is a replacement for returning to God. And, you know, God is not fooled. You know, uh, in Southern California, uh, many years ago when I lived there, uh, I used to like to eat, now here's a confession, I used to like to eat at a place called Tommy's. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of this uh, restaurant in Southern California, but it is, uh, there are many of them, and they're, they're actually not even indoor restaurants. What they are are these, they're like a booth on a sidewalk all over the place, and they were known for chili and chili burgers and chili stew. And, and what they would do is they would give it to you, whether you had it on a bun or whatever, and uh, they didn't want to give you napkins. They just had like a roll of like paper towels, you know what I mean? I used to love that. Many, it was like a lifetime ago, right? But they had, they had a slogan that uh, is a famous slogan and that other people, I think, use. I've heard it many places. And uh, it was on their cups and on, on everything, uh, even emblazoned on their little buns that they had. And it was, don't be fooled by imitators, right? Well, God is not fooled by imitators. God is not fooled with the praise the Lord this and thank God for that, you know, and, and all of it. He's not fooled. We need to remember that on Yom Kippur, you know? Uh, He's not fooled by even the the nice clothes that we might wear or just how we get everything just right. Return to me, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your sins. And then he says, take words with you and return to me. Isn't that great? No, he doesn't say bulls, calves, lambs, and so on. Now, obviously, uh, he wasn't against those things. But when we return to God, it's more than worship forms. Take words. And not just, you know, saying uh, some kind of prayer of confession as fast as you can. You know, uh, uh, or just um, trying to say it right. Or uh, even with the best of intentions, saying, well, I I need to uh, confess my sin, so I need to make sure that I use like the right formula or say it right. No, what God desires is words from the depth of our heart, no matter how it comes out. You know, 
expensive words, not cheap words. And, uh, you know, that, that is very convicting. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously uh, without any merit, you know, that we may present the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips means the, from, our, from our mouth. How important it is for us to recognize this. Now, when he says and say to him, I would suggest that just as our ancient rabbis used to say, the prayers in the siddur are like, uh, are like, uh, like a diving board. That they weren't meant to be simply an end unto themselves, but they were, they were meant to be a motivator and an inspiration for our own words. So when he says here, take words with you and return to the Lord, say to him, take away iniquity, don't just memorize verse 2 and, you know, uh, throw it up to God, regurgitate it to God, but come to him with your own words. And what a great opportunity Yom Kippur is for that. You know, tomorrow, if you are here, uh, there are a lot of places in this uh, synagogue where you can find a corner and sort of meditate, pray, perhaps read some scripture, and just think about these things. Or even tonight when you go home, because, uh, you know, we're not going to be too concerned with raiding the refrigerator, right? Uh, so I hope that you'll uh, use the time wisely, which is what we're meant to do, to just think about these things. Wow, how can I return to God with expensive words? How can I Come to him with my words. It's so simple that it is quite uh, heavy. And uh, that is how it is. Uh, God desires that we return to him. And he makes it that as long as we can communicate, we can return. You don't have to come with a degree. You don't have to uh, uh, come with uh, a particular set of words. You don't have to memorize something. You don't have to pay for something. You could come to him with your heart, with words from your innermost being. And then notice in verse 3, it says, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you, the orphan finds mercy. When you read through the book of Hosea, you read lots of verses about the pride of Ephraim. Uh, you read a lot of verses about how, how uh, the northern kingdom, Ephraim, and the southern kingdom of, uh, of Judah constantly uh, found through their own pride, their own way of uh, deliverance. So, for example, in chapter 7, uh, you see... Uh, in verse 2, And they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them. They are before my face. They do not consider in their heart that I remember all their wickedness. They basically are doing their own thing and not recognizing that God is really their king and uh, uh, doing whatever it takes. He says in verse 4, They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by the baker, who ceases to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. And then later on he says, in verse 7, all of them are hot like an oven, and they consume their rulers, and their kings have fallen. None of them calls on me. 
Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, yet he doesn't even know it. Gray hairs are also sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Through the pride, though the pride of Israel testifies against him. Yet they have neither returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him for all this. And then he goes on to say, you can just read the whole, you know, he says, I, so Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. Then he says, they call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. How sad it is that uh, what uh, our ancestors did was forget that they were accountable to God. They forgot their calling. They forgot their reason for being. And so sadly for our people to this day, oftentimes our reason for being is to exist. Our reason for being is let's try not to assimilate. But there is a calling upon our people to be a light to the nations. And we know that in Messiah Yeshua, we begin to fulfill that calling. But how sad it is that so many of us have forgotten that calling. And that we are just concerned about maintaining, about existing. But that we don't give enough thought to furthering the calling in our lives. How sad it is. These are the things that we need to be thinking about. When it says, Assyria will not save us, nor will we ride on horses... Nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. May I suggest the work of our hands here, yes, is, is idols, but may I say the work of our hands maybe is what we do Monday through Friday. Maybe the work of our hands is what we occupy ourselves with all day. Our careers or uh, other things, whatever it might be. See? Now, it doesn't mean that, obviously, that those things are not bad. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with uh, having a career, there's nothing wrong. Obviously, it's all good about, uh, about uh, supporting your family and making a difference in this world. And uh, we're called to work and, and, and all of that. However, if we see our identity in it, that's where we have a problem. If that's what is pulling the strings of our lives, that's the problem. See, God is the one with whom we have to do. And there are plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about even when we go to our jobs, the one we're serving ultimately is the Lord. And that's why we do our best, uh, you know, at our careers, our jobs, our occupations. But let, them, let those things not be what, what drives our lives, our being. Sometimes it can be other things, you know, uh, escapist recreational activities, uh, those can be very good, but may they, not, may, may they not drive our lives and that we see our worth in them. This, this can also be true of our, of our families. So moms and dads, your worth is not bound up with the success of your children. What a relief, right? Right. That your worth is bound up in God. And so we are all, as we like to say, image bearers of God and serving in a variety of capacities in this world. But our identity is in him. And so may we repent of saying to the work of our hands, our God, even if we don't really say it, but we're kind of living that way. For in you, the orphan finds mercy. See, God desires that we are involved in this world, obviously. God desires that we do well at whatever your career occupation is and, and, and whatever it may be. But we need to frame it in the right way so that God is the one who really is 
uh, our primary motivator uh, and the one in whom we really do find refuge and peace and no fear. See? And that's a challenge to us all because just in the way that we live in the, the sinfulness of this world, it's a struggle. But that is what God calls us to. Now, beginning in verse 4, you have now, the, one could say, the response of God. So you have the plea to return in verses 1 to 3, and then the response of God. And the reason I picked this passage was, frankly, because of this response. Because I think that oftentimes when we talk about repenting and returning to God, we're, although we should, in a perfect world, be motivated simply by, being, by obeying God, and that should give us such nachas to obey God, that, uh, you know, that it's all good and, that, and, and to uh, you know, be, the, be good men and women and so on and so forth and return to him and so on. But I think that we really need the why question really answered. So what? What is so good about returning to God other than that it's sort of like a spiritual thing I'm supposed to do? Why? Why should I return to God? And we're going to see this now. In verses uh, 4 to 8, uh, 4 to 7, and then we're going to see it also in what's really motivating David in Psalm 51 from two points of view. One is what God says he's going to do. God gives us the why, and then David is going to pray in his prayer in Psalm 51 for the why. Now, why do I think it's so important to remember the why? 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 (laughs) I'm saying that way too many times. And that is because the primary motivation for most of us in what we do in life is what it provides. How, the how comes after the why. How do you get there? Okay, now that I understand the why, and it's really a good thing, okay, how do I get there? We are very used to sharing this message and begging people to do the how without really articulating the why. So God is, God, you know, I have to pause and say, you know, it's not the uh, advertisers uh, and website developers who figured out this thing about why. It's right here in the Bible, right here from the ancient world about the why. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. Not only that, his shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. That's why. And what did it mean to those people, and what does it mean to us? Well, first it says here, I will heal their apostasy. I will heal their... That's an interesting choice of words. Because normally it might say, I will forgive their apostasy. But he doesn't use the word forgive. He uses the word heal. I will heal their apostasy. See, he calls it healing. See, without the forgiveness of God, we are ill on the inside And sometimes that manifests itself even on the outside. That 
When we do not walk with God, it is like a festering boil or worse inside of us. And it is like this achy pain that keeps coming on and on and on. And we try to fix it. We take varieties of medications that we can get our hands on, whatever it might be, to try to heal that. And you know, the saddest thing is when we don't even realize that we're really sick and we just go on and it begins to, or it just continues to eat us up. And then it's not until we stand before God that we realize the diagnosis and then it's too late. And you know, isn't that the saddest thing when you hear of people didn't go to the doctor, didn't go to the doctor, didn't go to the doctor, and then it's too late. God says, you come to me and I will indeed heal you. Now, in the, in the big scheme of things, yes, we're all ill. But I think also for us, when we uh, are in need of forgiveness from another person, it just makes us sick that uh, we need healing. You know, don't we look at the world and say, the world is sick, the world is ill, the world needs healing. Well, you know, individually and communally, we are in need of, of healing. Healing that only comes uh, from God. And when he says heal, here, I will heal their apostasy, I, you know, I, it tells us something about the power of uh, forgiveness. That do you know that when you forgive someone, you're bringing healing. Wow, how powerful is that? You're bringing healing when you forgive. Our relationship with each other is a mirror of our relationship with God. Of course, we don't need to forgive God for anything, right? But we need to seek his forgiveness. And when we are forgiven, we are indeed healed, see? And so, therefore, when we have this mutual uh, uh, healing, when we offer forgiveness, or we are forgiven, that indeed brings healing. And so there is great healing power. It brings reconciliation. And again, we have this, uh, uh, this great power to bring life to people in the sense of forgiving. And God forgives us. And my guess is, is that there's more than one of us here tonight that is in need of forgiveness from God himself and from others. And so may healing come. May the power of healing in forgiveness come. Then he says, I will love them freely. I will love them freely. Okay? Abundantly, lavishly. That's what free here actually means. The Hebrew word is kind of an unusual word. There's a lot of unusual Hebrew words actually in, in all of this. And when he says, I will love them freely, it doesn't mean like um, uh, simply uh, nothing's holding me back, but it's speaking of it like pouring out abundantly, okay? So I will love them in abundance. Uh, and certainly, love is another thing that uh, we are in great need of, and that when we are alienated from others and we are alienated from God, we are lacking love in our lives. And my guess is, is that all of us, to one degree or another, each of us is lacking love in our lives from God. But I would suggest that oftentimes 
we can experience, we experience the healing of God and we experience the love of God as we engage in those activities in each other's lives. This is the why. This is what repentance brings. See, without repentance, we're stuck with pride, alienation, envy, jealousy, factions, anger, unforgiveness, uh, uh, you know, holding grudges, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're stuck with. But if you really want to have healing and you really want to be loved and to love, the doorway is returning to God with your words in true, uh, in true humility. For my anger has turned away from them. Then he says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. We don't have time to turn to it, but there are a lot of verses here that describe the sins of Ephraim as parched ground. And that's what he means here when he talks about the dew. He will be refreshment to Israel. I blossom like the lily. Take there, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. Grow and a flourish. That is what God promises when we repent. And I shall, may I say, keep on repenting. Then it says, his shoots will sprout and his beauty will be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the, like the uh, cedars of Lebanon. Uh, and so the olive tree, certainly in ancient times, uh, was, uh, was something very valuable, was used in a variety of ways, including healing and including fragrance and, and things of that nature. Uh, and so he's saying uh, that you will become like, like the olive tree. You will become beautiful. You will become one who gives life and, and who people uh, love and, uh, and blossom with. Those who live in the shadow will again raise grain. They will blossom like the vine. And his renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. There will be uh, prosperity in the sense of satisfaction and growth and all that is good. Because you see, these are the things that back in the Garden of Eden, that God desired his, his creation to be like. When God says, this is what I will do, this is supposed to be the norm, but we cannot experience it because so much is in the way. God desires to bless us. Blessing is restored. There will be nourishment. This is the why of repentance. You know, God has called us to be as image bearers, right? To be as image bearers means to be a blessing. To be a blessing as God is a blessing in the midst of the earth, we are called to be a blessing in the midst of the earth. We are called to infuse life to others by the words and deeds that we do in our lives. We bring blessing. And yes, of course, the greatest blessing of all is Messiah Yeshua, but in him we are called to be a blessing. And that is what blessing is. Blessing is a definition of the relationship that we have with God and Messiah Yeshua, and it is a definition of the relationship that we have with others. And the fruit of this thing called blessing is acceptance, uh, you know, is a dignity, providing the needs uh, that we have one to another. And so God desires that we live in this, uh, in this blessing. 
And there's certainly, uh, you know, a lot we could say about this issue of, um, of a blessing, uh, but I will just say the infusion of life-giving uh, empowerment as we be the image bearers of God in other people's lives by the words that we say, words of blessing and deeds of blessing. That the definition of blessing is the nature of our relationship of one of life-infusing empowerment. It's said that uh, in our uh, world, uh, people take this concept of blessing and twist it around and make it into prosperity, the, the, what we call the prosperity gospel. And we turn it into, uh, you know, God wants you rich and happy and wealthy and, you know, and healthy and, and all of that. And if you're not all of that, you're missing the blessing of God. But that's missing the blessing of God. <laughs> that's missing the blessing of God. Okay? That's uh, making it anthro-centered rather than God-centered. See? Uh, and tomorrow morning we'll be talking more, more about that. Uh, but I guess uh, let me just close by saying this. Yeshua and uh, John, the immerser, John the Baptist, said at the very beginning of their uh, words of ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May I say another way of saying the kingdom of heaven, to get your arms around that, is the place of the blessing of God. The place of the blessing of God is at hand. The doorway is repentance. See, so if we preach repentance, that's like saying, uh, it's like saying this. I said this in our, our men's chavurah uh, last Wednesday morning. So let's say that someone is really, really hungry. And uh, the good news is, that we say to them is, you see that house over there? If you walk through that door, you will find a table full of wonderful food and it's all for you. Okay? Now, if we just said to that person, I got some great news. There's a door over there. All right? Have a nice day. We don't get to the news. The repentance is the way in. It's not an end unto itself. Returning to God is for the purpose of relating to him. What does relating to him mean? Uh, be forgiven. What does forgiveness mean? Well, you're, you're right with God. It's number four on my doctrinal statement. You know, okay, but what does it mean? It means to live a life of what God calls blessing in him. A rich, satisfying life of peace and acceptance and dignity of being fully human. Of what it really means to be alive. That's what it is. It's not Fruit Loops. Like, you know, nice sugary cereal. Something that, that placates us something that's good for a season, something that's nice to do. It's, it's something that lasts forever and is within us and gives us the, the absolute reason to live every day and to be joyful in the Lord and to desire to serve others. That is what happens when we repent. And tomorrow morning, we're going to talk more about that. But boy... If you are in need of healing and you are in need of love and you are in need of refreshment and you are in need of, uh, of knowing why you are here and what God's calling is on your life and how to live in a way that brings you personal nachas from God, turn to him, return to him and repent.
Just bring your words. And you keep doing that, and you will see a difference in your life. Because that is indeed God's desire. Just as the father waiting for the prodigal son with open arms to return. So, God waits for us on Yom Kippur. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you love us so much, that you never give up. Thank you, Lord, that you created us to be fully human beings. You've created us to serve one another. You've created us as we live out your Torah. That indeed is blessing as we love uh, as we love our neighbor as ourselves. And as a result, we receive blessing. What a marvelous way to live our lives. Lord, we cannot control the circumstances of our lives, but we can control ourselves. We cannot control who's driving cars on the road. We cannot control our children, our parents, our spouses, our brothers, our sisters, our bosses, our co-workers. We can't control them. But Lord, we can control what's within us and how we negotiate this life with fullness of joy. Lord, thank you that Yeshua said that he came to give us life abundantly. Lord, may we really have and live that life. Lord, thank you that it is not just feeling good. For Lord, there's enough pharmaceuticals that can make us feel good. But Lord, we're talking about transformation, a real transformed real life. God, I pray that we might want that as the deer pants for water so we might want more of you, Lord, more of your healing and your love and your refreshment. God, may we realize that that, that is what happens when we repent. We pray. In Yeshua's name, amen.